you this morning in the precious name of Jesus Christ. Thank you, Sean, for your assistance getting up here. I'm sure as many of you have been informed, I am legally blind. I tend to, once I get to know a, a facility or get to know a place, I kind of put a map in my head. So I don't have that map yet, so I requested a little assistance this morning. The problem with that map in my head, it's slow to change. So if furniture gets moved or something, I tend to run into it because it's not in the map in my head. But the Lord is faithful with that, and yes, it is a privilege to be here this morning. Praise the Lord for his providence in arranging all of this. Um, you know, this was scheduled for last Sunday due to the weather that didn't work out. And as many of you may know, my wife and I are expecting uh, a son. Due date is tomorrow. So the Lord worked all of that out also. We uh, just praise him for organizing all this, and this is the morning that he has ordained for this to happen. So um, just a little bit about me. Uh, my blindness tends to raise some questions. One thing is I'll, I'll stay pretty firmly planted behind this pulpit. It's a little dangerous for me to wander around. So I tend to stay right behind the pulpit usually. Uh, you see I have an earbud. I have a device in my hand. I load my notes on this device, and I have some very, uh, generic, very small prompts that this, I can arrow through in this device and it keeps me on task, keeps me on focus as I go through the message. And I praise the Lord for that opportunity. Had a couple of uh, instances where it got a little nervous. I accidentally hit the wrong button one morning and deleted all my notes. But the Lord was faithful with that also and I think it was one way of keeping me humble, keeping me focused on studying and, and it's, it's all a blessing. It really is. If I told you that I wasn't nervous this morning, I'd be lying to you. But I praise the Lord for that, and I pray that there's never a time that I get up here, that I get up anywhere to preach the Word of God, that there's not a certain level of respectful nervousness. Because it is a great privilege, it is a great honor, and it is a great responsibility. As we get into the text this morning, as you see in your notes, and uh, they asked me to mention that the notes still say... Uh, March the 2nd, trying to conserve a few trees. We didn't figure you guys would mind if it said the 2nd instead of the 9th, but that is still the same note paper that you will use this morning. We will be in John chapter 18, starting in verse 28. And yes, the, pro the, the point of this this morning is to look into the Word of God, but it has a secondary purpose this morning for you guys to get to know me a little better. And in my scriptures... Often I will use a dramatized Bible to play the scripture uh, references if it's a longer text. If it's a shorter text, I can use my prompting device to help me uh, read through the text. This morning I've chosen to use that dramatized Bible, and I just wanted to note, as if you try to follow along this morning, it will be the NIV. Um, that is because I know that you guys have uh, adopted the ESV as your standard here. I am fine with that. I just don't have an ESV dramatized Bible as of yet. So I will have no problem, you know, if the Lord so leads in this process to continue and have me installed a senior pastor to switch over to the ESV. I just thought that may be a question that will come up. But if you would, follow along, and I'll ask the sound guys to go ahead and play that scripture this morning. And the Jews led Jesus from Caiaphas to the palace of the Roman governor. By now it was early morning, and to avoid ceremonial uncleanness, the Jews did not enter the palace. They wanted to be able to eat the Passover. So Pilate came out to them and asked, what charges are you bringing against this man? If he were not a criminal, they replied, we would not have handed him over to you. Pilate said, Take him yourselves and judge him by your own law. 
But we have no right to execute anyone. The Jews objected. This happened so that the words Jesus had spoken, indicating the kind of death he was going to die, would be fulfilled. Pilate then went back inside the palace, summoned Jesus, and asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? Is that your own idea? Jesus asked. Or did others talk to you about me? Am I a Jew? Pilate replied. It was your people and your chief priests who handed you over to me. What is it you have done? Jesus said, My kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jews. But now my kingdom is from another place. You are a king, then, said Pilate. Jesus answered, You are right in saying I am a king. In fact, for this reason I was born, and for this I came into the world to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. What is truth? Pilate asked. With this he went out again to the Jews and said, I find no basis for a charge against him. But it is your custom for me to release to you one prisoner at the time of the Passover. Do you want me to release the king of the Jews? They shouted back, No, not him! Give us Barabbas! Now, Barabbas had taken part in the rebellion. You know, as we look at this text, we have one group of people and a couple other individuals, different characters that we'll look at this morning. We have the Jewish leaders and... I know it's been a few years ago, Sean went through the Gospel of John with you, and we've been doing this at Bethel just over the past couple of years. And as you go through the Gospel of John, you see the Jewish leaders often, and you see their motives, and you see that they're threatened by Jesus. And that's a perspective they're coming from in the, in the text this morning. We see Jesus, and of course we know his perspective of truth, of honor, of being the Son of God. We also have Pilate. Pilate's kind of thrown in the middle of this situation. Jews, as we go through the text here, we'll see they're using him for their purposes, for their means. They have, a, they have an agenda in going to Pilate. See, the Jews had already passed judgment on Jesus. And in the text leading up to this, we know that they did it in the middle of the night. And they did this in, within their Jewish courts, within their Jewish facility means of, of, of passing judgment, of holding court. But they did it in the middle of the night because I believe they wanted to have less people there, less attention drawn to it. But they had made their decision. They had had their court. They would reached their verdict. And now their desire is to bring Jesus to Pilate. Well, the reason for bringing him to Pilate is because they wanted the Roman government to execute Jesus. This was all part of their plans, what they wanted to happen. They had a problem, though. This was in the time of the Passover. And by their Jewish customs, by their Jewish laws, they could not be in a Gentile's home within seven days of the Passover. They would be considered unclean and would not be able to participate in the Passover ceremonies. So they wanted to go to Pilate, but they had a little problem. Well, what did they do? They had to stand outside of his house and get him to come outside of his house, out of his courtyard to meet them so that they could present their case to him. Well, Pilate asked him, he said, well, what charges do you have against this man? What are you charging him with? What are you accusing him of? What did they do? They didn't answer his question, did they? They sort of avoided his question. They asked him a question. And I can just imagine it being rather, I guess you would call snobbish. They said, if you were not a criminal, we would not have handed him over to you. Basically telling Pilate, how dare you ask us why we bring him here? It should only be enough to know that we brought him, that he's guilty. You don't really need to know the details, so why would you ask us? They're trying to avoid it because they had a pretty flimsy case. But the question is, why 
did the Jewish leaders not execute Jesus themselves? Why did they refuse? To, why did they have to include the Roman governor? Why did they have to go to Pilate? Well, Pilate pointed this out to him, and they, they told him, well, we have no right to execute Jesus. You know, there's a time, sadly, as I studied earlier scriptures in the Gospel of John, I took this reference to say, well, they didn't have the right. They didn't have the authority to do it. But as I looked at this text, and I dug into it a little deeper, I realized they weren't being completely truthful there either. Again, they had an agenda. You see, the Jews' method of, of uh, capital punishment was stoning. They were not allowed, they didn't have the right to use crucifixion. And that is the way that they wanted Jesus killed. That's the way they wanted him taken care of. And you see, they had actually tried earlier to kill Jesus. And yet now they're saying they don't have the right. We look the end of John chapter 8, and you don't need to turn there this morning, we'll just reference to the story briefly. But the end of John chapter 8, it says they picked up stones to stone him. And it was Jesus. They picked up stones to stone Jesus. But Jesus hid himself. It wasn't his time. He got away from them without them being able to touch him. Yet they tried to. Again in chapter 10, it said they prepared to stone him and then to seize him. But he slipped away. And then at the end of Acts 7, this would have been after the crucifixion and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, but we see where they successfully stoned Stephen. They carried out their capital punishment. But yet they're trying to tell Pilate that they don't have the right to execute Jesus. The reality is they didn't have the right to execute Jesus the way they wanted to. And they wanted Pilate, they wanted the Roman government to do it. Why were they trying to get Pilate to do it? What was the reason behind it? Well, first of all, as we looked at the text, they failed. They couldn't catch him. We looked at two instances, and there were more than that through the scriptures where they tried to capture Jesus. And it wasn't his time. And he was able to slip away with, without any harm done to him or anything of that sort. So the first reason is they couldn't do it. They were unable to. it. Secondly, if they got the Roman government to carry it out, to crucify him, to execute him, it would validate them. They would say, see, it's not just us. The Roman government has a problem with this man, too, because there were some among them, I would, I would say there were several among them, who loved Jesus and didn't understand why the Jewish leaders wanted to do away with him. So the Jewish leaders were looking for validation, for justification for their actions, and they wanted it done. Crucifixion, another reason is crucifixion would be more public. They would show before all the people, anyone who, try, who claims to be God, this is what will happen to them. Well, the reality is, they didn't know what they were doing, the Jewish leaders. They were fulfilling prophecy to the letter. They were accomplishing God's perfect will to the letter, and they were totally ignorant of the fact. In John chapter 12, starting in verse 32, Jesus says, but I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all men to myself. He said this to show the kind of death that he was going to die. He prophesied to them how he was going to die, that he was going to be lifted up. And the Jewish people 
worked, wove right into God's plan and had no clue. What a beautiful example of God's providence. What a beautiful example of his sovereignty, his control of every detail. Well, to get this done, to get Pilate to do this, to get him to agree to crucify Jesus, they needed to convince Pilate, they needed to convince the Roman government that Jesus was a threat. They tried to convince him that he was, Jesus was claiming to be the king. And they were trying to convince him that Jesus was trying to claim the kingship, kingship of the Roman government itself. We also learn from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 23, that, they, that another claim they put against him, that he was against paying taxes to Rome, that Jesus himself was against paying taxes to Rome. This was another point that they tried to put against Jesus to encourage Pilate to carry out the crucifixion. We go on to verse 33 in our text this morning. They've presented their somewhat flimsy case to Pilate. And Pilate decides he wants to talk to Jesus himself, so he takes Jesus into the inner court. And he asks him a question. He says, are you the king of the Jews? Ask him a simple question. What does Jesus answer him? Jesus does what Jesus typically does. He asks a question. I love that about Jesus. He's trying to help those who are questioning him to think critically, to understand why they're asking the question that they ask. What a beautiful example of teaching someone. He's not in their face saying, Pilate, you're wrong. He's asking him questions and encouraging him to search himself as to why he's doing the things that he's doing. It's a beautiful tool. Now, children, I'm not encouraging you to answer your parents' questions with a question. There may be a time, there may be a place for that. But if you use the premise, well, Jesus does it, you might have another lesson to learn. <laughs> but it is a beautiful tool, especially in teaching our children, helping them to think through why they ask the questions they ask, why they're thinking what they're thinking. And that's what Jesus was doing with Pilate. That's what Jesus did in so many cases. Well, Pilate answered his question with another question. He said, am I a Jew? Basically telling him, you know this question is not from me. I'm just repeating their question. Well, Jesus finally answers him, and he says, my kingdom is not of this world. And what he's telling Pilate is, there's a lot bigger picture here than whether or not I'm an earthly king. He says, my kingdom is not of this world. He's basically telling Pilate, you really don't understand that, but that's okay. This is all part of my father's plan. Well, Pilate didn't get it. He didn't understand what Jesus meant by my kingdom is not of this world, but eventually he will. As you read on in chapter 19, you'll see that Pilate really started to question. Pilate actually tried to let Jesus go. He tried to convince the people to let Jesus go. But he just didn't get it accomplished. These people were determined to do away with Jesus. And it was also God's plan, and that's what they had to realize. Pilate asked him a question again. So you are a king then. Let's get this clear. You are a king. Well, Jesus answered, for this I came into the world to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. 
Well, for whatever reason, this, this pacified Pilate. He was satisfied. He was convinced that Jesus was not a threat. Whatever this man was claiming to be, he was not a threat to Pilate. He was not a threat to the Roman government. But he ended his conversation with Jesus, his interview with Jesus, with one more question. And it was a rhetorical question that he was not looking for an answer for. He just simply said, what is true? You know, there was a big debate in this era, as there still is today, of what truth is. And Pilate was making a point to Jesus, well, you can say your truth, but what really is truth? Truth is whatever we want it to be. You see, Pilate thought that all truth was relative. And that's what many people think. That's what the, many of the leaders at that time thought. That's what many people today think, is that truth is relative. What is relative? You want know, to think of something being relative, it has a point of reference, and that point of reference can change. You know, we've had a pretty cold winter. When our winter started, 50 degrees was kind of chilly. But after this winter, with a new point of reference to what cold is, 50, 55 degrees feels pretty warm, doesn't it? That's relative. You know, when you go to Florida, you go down there, we were down there earlier this winter, and a couple days where it was 60 degrees, we thought it felt wonderful out in our shorts and our t-shirts and people, the native Floridians were, you know, relative to them, that was cold. Just on a side note, we like to visit Florida, but unlike some other people, we have no desire to live there. <laughs> you see, truth can be whatever you want it to be. It is relative. Truth was whatever the majority of the people wanted in Pilate's eyes. Or whatever helped advance their own personal desires or their political goals. When there's no basis for truth, there's no basis for moral right or moral wrong. Justice becomes whatever works in the moment whatever furthers an individual or a group's cause or whatever helps those who are in power at the time. You see, in Jesus and in his word as we have it in scripture and as his li in his life as he lived it, we have a standard for truth. And that is the basis for all truth, ultimately. As, many, as much as man tries to establish their own point of reference for truth. Jesus is the ultimate point of reference for truth. And the point of reference for our moral behavior. You see, we try to create our own standard for truth, our own basis. It seems like a lot of the time we use other people for our standard. Why is that? Why do we do that? Well, first of all, we're each living for ourselves. And if we can justify our actions by saying, well, you know, we did wasn't quite right, but so-and-so, he's a lot worse than I am. So as long as I stay better than him or better than her, I'm okay. That's basing our truth on relativity. People say, don't tell me what to do. You know, we have different social issues today, homosexuality being one of the big ones. It's amazing to think that in some conservative estimates, 3% of the population actually claims to live a homosexual lifestyle, yet over 
of the voting population in many states have passed legislation in favor of things for that lifestyle. Why is that? Those people don't want to be told what to do either. The people voting for it don't want to be told what to do. So they're telling you to leave others alone. So you'll leave me alone. We don't like to be told what to do in our flesh, in our humanity. The second thing is fear. Fear drives what we consider as a basis of our truth many, many times. Look at Pilate in our story this morning. He believed that Jesus was innocent because he was afraid of what would happen to him. He wouldn't stand. He wouldn't stand up for Jesus. He wouldn't say this is wrong. We know, again, looking at the account in Luke chapter 23, that Pilate wanted to release Jesus. And we know, like I said, reading on in the Gospel of John, that he tried to release Jesus. You know what? He had the power to release Jesus. It didn't hinge on a popular vote, but he was afraid of the consequences. Pilate wanted to keep everyone happy. He wanted to keep the Jewish people happy. He wanted to keep the Roman citizens happy. He wanted to keep the Roman government happy. He had a mess. He was in a very difficult situation. Well, we know that he tried to pass Jesus off on Herod, another governor. Herod was the governor of Jesus' hometown, so Pilate tried to reason that this was actually Herod's jurisdiction. And we know from Luke that he tried to pass, because Herod was in town too. So he tried to pass Jesus off on Herod. We know that again also from the account of Luke chapter 23, if you want to read that sometime. Well, this had an effect. Apparently Herod and Pilate didn't get along very well. But in Pilate giving Herod what Herod saw as respect, Herod didn't realize that Pilate was actually just trying to pass the buck. But in him showing that, it patched up their relationship and it restored their relationship. But Pilate still got this situation with Jesus back in his lap and he had to make a decision. The Jewish leaders, they were driven by fear. They didn't even try to decide if what Jesus was teaching was true. All they knew is it threatened their authority. It threatened their power. For them to admit that Jesus was the Savior, that Jesus was the Son of God, they would have had to relinquish their power over the Jewish people and admit that he was the king. But they were fearful to do that. They wanted to hold on to their power. I ask you this morning, do you live by fear? What is the basis of your truth? Are you in a position of power? That you're afraid if you stand for truth, you see what is truth, just as Pilate did. But you're afraid if you stand up for it, you may lose your position. You may, may lose the power within society that you have. Are you afraid that if you stand up for truth, the people in your circle of friends, in your social circle, will outcast you? Again, you know what truth is. You know what Jesus stands for, and you know that what's going on within your circle of friends is not right, but you also know that if you stand up, there's a chance that you will lose those friends. Are you living by that fear? Is it a fear of financial loss? Are you afraid that if you stand up for truth, if you allow some 
under the table, if you don't allow some under the table business dealings to go through, it will cost you deeply financially. So are you allowing that to drive whether or not you stand up for truth, whether you acknowledge the truth of Jesus Christ? Are you standing up for truth and trusting that God will take care of you? doesn't mean necessarily that he'll increase your bank account, but he will provide your needs. Are you living in fear of any of these circumstances, any of these situations? Do any of these fears trump the truth of Jesus Christ in your life? I ask you that this morning. You see, only Jesus in our story this morning stood on truth. When Pilate confronted him, was he stomping around in fear? You can't do this to me. Don't you see what they're trying to do? Don't you understand what they're trying to do? No, he was calm. He asked questions. He tried to help Pilate think it through. But then he rested in the sovereignty of his father. Are we resting in the sovereignty of God? And knowing that whatever happens, whatever circumstances come our way, God has it. God is in control. You see, Jesus wasn't in it for himself. He knew what was facing him. He had prophesied. He knew exactly what he was facing. And he could have tried to convince Pilate so that he didn't have to hang on that cross. But he knew God's plan. And he knew how it was all going to turn out. He wasn't afraid because he knew his father had it. He wasn't afraid of what these Jewish leaders thought of him. He wasn't afraid of what Pilate thought of him. He wasn't afraid of the pain it was going to cost him on that cross. He was trusting in God. Only Jesus was and is true. And praise God for that. In Psalms 119, verse 36, it says, Turn my heart toward your statutes and not toward selfish gain. Is that your prayer this morning? Are you seeking God in every situation, in every step of your life? I encourage you this morning as you read scripture, do you read it as a historical account or do you read it personally? Looking into the personalities of these people, you can't know them in detail at all, but you can look at their actions. You can see the way they dealt with situations. Do you look at it personally and think, oh, I might see some of that in me? God is not bringing that to your understanding, bringing that to your mind to condemn you. He's bringing that to your mind because he has paid the price for it. And he wants you to lay it at the foot of the cross. Sean asked you to pray this morning if you have any unconfessed sins to bring them to you. God is not beating you over the head with a hammer saying, confess, confess, confess. He is longing for you to do that because of the freedom that is yours through that, through the price that Jesus paid on the cross. So as you read Scripture personally, and you see traits, it's like, oh, I may tell half-truths like the Jew Jewish leaders did. Didn't even realize I was doing it. Oh, I see my motives. Josh, a couple weeks ago when he preached here for you, he talked about motives and the motives behind things. You may say, well, I see myself doing the right things, but I see my motives for doing them aren't quite right. That's God prompting your heart, 
longing to bring you to freedom, longing to bring you closer and closer to the standard of truth that Jesus Christ has set for each one of us. Praise God for that standard and praise God for his grace to bring us to that point. As long as we walk on this earth in these bodies, we won't reach that point. But God is faithful to continually purify us and teach us and walk with us in it. Romans chapter 8 verse 15 in closing. He says, For you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear, but you received the spirit of sonship. We're not instantly Jesus when we accept him as our Savior. He is our standard of truth that we are longing to become. But we receive that spirit of sonship. We are adopted into his family. And he is faithful to walk with us, to teach us, to guide us in that journey until ultimately we enter into eternity and walk with him. Praise God for that gift. Praise God for his love and for his mercy. Let's pray. Father, we come before you this morning. Lord, I praise you for this opportunity this morning, Lord. I thank you for your scriptures, Lord. I thank you, God. We have the opportunity to read through them personally, Lord. Even this morning's scripture in a premise of a historical account of the events leading up to the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Such amazing truths you have in that for us, God. Lord, help us each to open our hearts to you. And Lord, as you put your finger on things in our lives that are not lining up with the basis of truth that you've set in your son, Jesus Christ, that you will faithfully and lovingly cleanse those things from our lives as we lay them at the foot of the cross, as we bring them to you in confession. And you teach us and guide us through each of those. I just pray your blessing on us this morning as we seek to apply that truth to our lives, Lord. And God, I also take this opportunity this morning, Lord, to ask, Lord, for your will to be worked out in this congregation as they're in this time of transition. We're in this time of questions, Lord. I just pray, Lord, for your peace to reign for each person here to seek you, to seek to understand your will, your plan. And I praise you for that, God. In Jesus' name we